chapter 1, verse 18, and uh, you will see, uh, you'll see the English Standard Version appear on the screen over here, or those of you that are joining us online, it will be right here as well. Uh, so I'm going to read first, I keep saying 1 Corinthians because we were in 1 Corinthians for so long, weren't we? Um, I'm going to read 2 Corinthians 1, 18 through 22. We actually had an overview uh, of um, verses 12 all the way through chapter 2, verse 4 last week. But I, I wanted to take these verses out and treat them by themselves <clears throat> because they present uh, a very important teaching uh, all on their own. And it's something that I think if we get, it can change our perspective and our approach to the Bible. I don't know how you look at the Bible, right? So we had that little skit last Sunday with our wonderful uh, two actors uh, that were up here. And by the way, Autumn, who is always up there in the booth now is a fantastic actress, she directed that scene. I didn't even direct it. I mean, I gave him a few little pointers here and there, but she directed that scene. But the, the point of the, the skit uh, fits what I'm about to say, and that is that there was a young person that was there who'd rather play video games than read the Bible. Well, those of us that are here are adults, so it's, um, well, a lot of adults play video games these days, but I think the, the age range of the majority of adults in this room, uh, we probably don't play video games. We have a group of teenagers that are going to go over to Infinity Arcade tonight and play video games. Um, so there's nothing wrong with video games as long as, you know, you take care of the amount of time you're spending and the type of video game that you are um, uh, participating in because there's some pretty horrible ones out there as well. But the young man in the skit, Luke, said, you know, I remember the line, the, the way Felix delivered it. Oh, but the Bible is so old. And I always fall asleep when I read the Bible. Okay, well, you know, we're not kids, but I wonder if you kind of secretly or maybe, you know, openly feel that way about the Bible. Well, hopefully after you uh, pay attention to this teaching tonight, it will help you. And really, I hope what I'm doing on Sunday is helping you to approach uh, the Bible differently. Specifically, for what I'm doing on Sunday, it will help you to approach the Old Testament. Uh, you know, as I indicated previously, the theme for Sunday is uh, 1 Corinthians 10:11, which says, These things happened to them as examples for us and were written down. Uh, for our benefit, upon whom the ends of the ages have come, right? So this isn't just, oh, so old history, you know, or a bunch of rules and, oh, why, why, why? And, you know, we would say, yes, this is, this is the word of God, but it's, it's God's word to you. It's his message to you. When you read the Bible, and, you know, I'm going to pray here in just a moment, for the rest of us, we prayed earlier. Uh, that's why we started our uh, our uh, stream a little bit later. Uh, we prayed earlier, but I want to pray for those of you that are joining us online as well. But you always want to pray that God will speak to you, right? The Bible is God's living and active word. That's what it says in Hebrews chapter 4, 
the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of uh, soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It's, it's a penetrating word. It gets into our heart. It does the kind of surgery, surgery we need it to do, right? And it brings the type of healing that we need. So, uh, Father, I do pray you'll open your word. I pray that we'll be receptive. I pray that we will allow your Holy Spirit to make it alive to each of us and that we will be moved to make the changes you want us to make in Jesus' name. Verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 1, As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Sylvanus, Timothy, and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to, uh, to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Okay? Um, so by way of introduction uh, and reminder of where this, uh, this passage fits, the Apostle Paul is responding to the uh, perhaps criticism that you know, he was going to come and visit them, and then he didn't. And he told them, the reason why I didn't come is because I didn't want it to be another painful visit. And so last week, I talked a lot about giving people space, right? We can't always press in, press in, press in, um, and, and make people do what we want, even if we're right. We've got to give them the space to decide. And Paul wanted them to have the space to make the necessary changes, and now he's responding to this presume, uh, presumptive criticism that, oh, well, you just, you know, we never know if you're going to keep your promises or not. Yes, no, maybe so. That's definitely my experience of young people in our world today. And maybe older people have uh, been influenced by this tendency as well. It used to be your word is your bond. If you say yes, it's yes, and you're going to keep that promise. If you say no, it's no, and you're going to keep that promise. Right? It's not, well, yes, that's how I feel right now. But in 10 minutes, I might feel like no. Right? That's the way we are. People just say what they think you want to hear, or they say how they, they speak uh, according to how they feel at that moment in time. We're very, very emotionally driven people. Listen, emotions are not bad, feelings are not bad. But you need to put truth and faith in front of feelings, right? Fact, faith, feelings. When your feelings get ahead of everything, that's why people talk in our day about, you know, your truth, my truth. Well, that's your truth. There's no your truth and my truth. There's the truth and your opinion of it. There's the truth and your willingness to abide by it or not, believe it or not. But the truth is true because it is spoken by God. It is established. And because God doesn't change, the truth doesn't change, right? So... I don't have as many young people in my life as I once did. Um, this church was comprised originally of, you know, young people from the ages of 18 to 24, largely. And, uh, you know, a lot of them have grown up and moved on and gone elsewhere, and some of them are still here. And, you know, they're playing in our band, and, uh, you know, they form really a foundation to what we do here. But um, I didn't see them, that is, those young people, 
to be as flighty and as flaky as I see many young people today, right? Now, I know that sounds very pejorative and, you know, you're an old guy and of course you think that. But listen, I love them, but I just know. I've got one young man in particular that, you know, I tried to shepherd him and his brother and their friend along for a number of years. And uh, he periodically calls me. Hey, Pastor D, how you doing? And, you know, informs me about changes in his life and whatnot. And, uh, you know, he'll get another call on his phone. He say, oh, Pastor D, I got to get this call. I'll call you back. And I'm like, no, you won't. <laughs> and it's okay. It's just, why say that? Hey, Pastor D, I got to go. I got this other call. Okay. But no, it's, no, I'm going to call you right back. But he doesn't. He's not going to. Right? And with young people like this, if they say, okay, yeah, um, I'm going to be there. I want to meet you there. I'm always making an alternate plan because I know there's a 50-50 chance that they're not going to show up. Right? Um, or if they do, it's going to be 30 minutes or 45 minutes late. Man, buddy, if I tell you I'm going to be there, I'm going to be there and I'm going to be on time. And that's going to happen every time, right? And that's the way we all need to be. And that's the way the Apostle Paul was here. So let's look at what he says. Verse 18, he says, as surely as God is faithful. Um, in the Old Testament, and of course, there wasn't a New Testament at the time Paul was writing this. Paul was writing the New Testament, right? Uh, this letter uh, probably precedes at least three of the Gospels. Um, it is likely that Mark was written somewhat earlier than the first and second Corinthian letters, but there's debate there. Um, if not, it was written about the same time. But nonetheless, uh, he's in the process of, so, of writing the New Testament. So his background, what he soaked in, what he steeped in, is the Old Testament. The Old Testament, uh, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for faithful may also be translated truth, right? When the Old Testament applies this to God, it speaks of his unchanging nature and the trustworthiness of his word. So the words in Hebrew, the, the, this word uh, that I'm about to give you is uh, emit, emit, right? Uh, reminds me of the, uh, y'all ever met anybody that's quite a bit older named Emmett? Used to be a, a common male name. I used to have a, a neighbor when I was growing up that lived next door. And I mean, back then, this is when I'm like 14 or 15, he was in his 80s or 90s. His name was Emmett. So, but it's that word in Hebrew is often translated truth. But do you know what else it means or how else it can be translated? Faithfulness. You remember what I said a moment ago? Does the truth change? Does the truth change? No. It does not. Right? Is God faithful? He is. Does God keep his promises? Does he keep his word? He does. Right? Now, he may make a promise that has a condition for you to fulfill, right? If you do this, then I'll do this. That's, the, that's a type of promise. And so it may seem that God has changed, but the reality is he hasn't changed anything. See, that condition, that if part, did you do that? No? Well, then you don't receive that promise. If this, then this. Conversely, if not this, then not this right? So that's not God changing. That's still God keeping his word, 
right? Um, so God is faithful and God is true. It also has a meaning of being firm, right? Somebody that's well-established, that's firm. Um, when somebody makes a promise to us, we want to know that they're trustworthy, right? That they're firm. So here are some verses that use this word. Exodus 34, 6. Then the Lord passed by in front of him, that is Moses, and proclaimed Yahweh, Yahweh God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. Psalm 31, 5. You recognize this because Jesus said the first phrase in this uh, on the cross, the last words that he spoke. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have ransomed me, Yahweh, O Yahweh, God of truth. Right? And there's another translation that will translate it, O Yahweh, uh, faithful God. God of truth, faithful God, it's the same word, that emit. Psalm 43, 3. Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill. Psalm 57, 10. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. And that word faithfulness is the same word, right? So um, there is another Hebrew word for faithful, which is spelled very similar and perhaps related, uh, is related to the word amen. Amen is related to this word truth, right? The other word is immuna, amen, right? And so when you say amen, have you ever said amen, right? I try to get you to say amen all the time because I want to know that you're listening, right? And you're either like, huh? Oh, amen. Yeah, amen. You woke me up, preacher. <laughs> it's me trying to say, do you get it? Are you tracking? Do you agree? Yes. Yes. That's it. That's what it means. That's what amen means. God is faithful. He is true. Um, in theology, we say God is immutable. That is, he never changes. Whatever God speaks is truth. Since his word comes from him, it shares in his unchanging nature. Therefore, the word of God is enduring stable and trustworthy. That's what we need in our era. My goodness, how many crises can we endure in a given period of time, right? We did two years of, uh, you know, COVID. And now, you know, it's like people are still catching that again. And some people are freaking out and some people are not. And, you know, now it's like monkeypox and the governor of New York is declaring a state of emergency for mon monkeypox. There's like, what, 10 people that have gotten this? Uh, you know, it's like we are freaking out about everything all the time. Listen, this is how the media keeps you tuned in. You realize that, right? Tune it out. Turn it off. Pray. Listen to some worship music. Turn off the radio. What drama. It's all drama on the radio. Okay, because it's everything, everybody has an agenda, right? It's, it's never just, you know, here's the news. I mean, back in the Walter Cronkite days, Walter Cronkite. The older of us in the room remember Walter Cronkite. And that's the way he spoke. And that's the way it is. I'm Walter Cronkite. 
And man, you could trust Walter. He was just going to tell you the news. That's it. Now, what do we have? We have nothing but editorial. That's all it is. And it's not even that. It's not just, hey, this is my opinion, take it or leave it. It's like, you need to listen to me. Democrats are evil. Republicans are evil. This candidate is wicked. They're perverse. They deserve a place in hell. This is the way it is. Golly, it's like enough to give you a neck ache just listening to either side for more than 10 minutes. Tune it out. Turn it off, right? You can stay tuned into the news, go through, get a little, you know, basic understanding of what's going on and then just turn it off because it's just, it's going to drive you nuts. It really, really is. But God is faithful. We don't have to worry about the latest crisis. Okay. I mean, you know, every week in our church, I'm like, okay, you know, what's going to happen now? What am I going to have to, you know, deal with here or here or here? And, you know, people's feelings are over here or over here, over here. Our finances are over here or over here or over here. I just got to trust in a good and loving God. Amen. So, I mean, I don't Are you all independently wealthy? Your finances are all situated. You don't have to worry about anything. Yeah, that's not me. And that's not our church either. It's like, you know, constant. So, but God is trustworthy, right? His word is worthy of our attention and his word is trustworthy. So when God makes promises, then those promises can be trusted. Um, Jesus is called the word of God. He embodies God's truth and specifically God's message to us. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away, right? It's unchanging. He always keeps his promises. He never lets us down. We may have to wait, and that's annoying, to be honest, but um, that's typically just a test of our faith or a means of changing our low desires into something exceptionally and exponentially higher and greater and indescribably better. Paul says, for all the promises find their yes in him. Jesus ensures that those who believe in him have access to his father's promises. Apart from Christ, we have no right to expect that the promises uh, made to God's people may be applied. I, I can't expect that I can just open the Bible and say, oh, that looks like a good promise and apply it to myself unless I am in Christ. Everything is predicated on that idea. Are you in Christ? If you're just out and in the world, then you don't have access to these promises. But if you're in Christ, then you do. Um, Jesus ensures that those who believe in him have access to the Father's promises. Uh, many of those are in the Old Testament, but the probably the most important ones, the, perhaps the most important ones for us are in the New Testament. Um, apart from Christ's atonement, you're separated from God. But in Christ, you are, are adopted into God's family. When you believe, you become a child of God and receive the inheritance of a son. Now, many translations today like to say sons and daughters. And that's because we don't want to feel like the ladies are being left out. What you may not understand is when the Bible says that we all have the inheritance of sons, he's including women in that. Women did not have the inheritance of the, the, the son. The daughter didn't have the same inheritance. 
it was anticipated that she would get married. And if for some reason her husband didn't want to have anything to do with her, then she would go back home to her father. And that's why the man would pay a dowry. He would pay a bride price so that if he didn't like her, she'd have something to, uh, to take care of her. But it was the son or specifically the sons in the family that received the inheritance. The, the girls were taken care of, but they didn't receive that inheritance. In Christ, you do. Ladies, you have the inheritance of sons. It has nothing to do with masculinity, femininity, patriarchy, and all of these other terms. It has to do with the rights that God offers you, right? Um, John 1, 12, to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be children of God, even to those who called on his name. His name is Jesus. Matthew 19, 20, that's John 1, 12, by the way. Matthew 19, 29, Jesus promises this, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my namesake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Listen, you may have to give some things up in this life, okay? There may be some things that are tripping you up and keeping you from, uh, from doing what God wants you to do and living your life the way God wants you to live your life. I remember some years ago, um, gosh, this has been a lot of years ago now, but uh, there was one of, the, one of the, the young men who was... Uh, uh, part of the Coors family. We're all familiar with Coors beer. I'm not saying you drink it, but I think it's, it's horrible. But nonetheless, um, it's a very, very popular beer, and the Coors family is very, very wealthy. And there was a member of the Coors family that became a, a Christian and was convicted that he shouldn't be selling beer, so he just gave up that inheritance, Right? Uh, there's things that we, that we have in our life, maybe things that we really like, things that we really, really love, um, things that give us pleasure, maybe things that prosper us that are not right. We may have to give those up. But, you know, God has greater things, eternal things in store, okay? Acts twenty thirty two. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance of, among those who are sanctified. That means made holy. And then Ephesians 1, 11 through 14, Ephesians 1 talks a lot about being chosen, being one of the elect and receiving this inheritance. Ephesians 1, 11 through 14 says, in him, that is in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. You notice this, this theme of inheritance over and over? That's this great promise that we have. We only have that if we are in Christ. Colossians 1, 12 through 14. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. We're not qualified, but he qualifies you. Remember, he qualifies the called. He doesn't call the qualified. You say, oh, I'm not qualified to do that. Okay, that's good. God will qualify you. 
You just need to respond to the call. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And there's Hebrews 6, 11, and 12. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness and to have the, the full assurance of hope until the end. What's the hope in? This great inheritance, right? This promise of an inheritance. So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Man, it takes patience because we don't get it overnight. In fact, we don't get it all down here on earth. We don't even get the best part of it down here on earth. And then lastly, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 4, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance, listen, that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Listen, you can be robbed down here. Everything can be taken from you, right? I mean, we're blessed, we're protected. But sometimes we lose things that we love, don't we? Lose people that we love. So I found out, um, I'll tell a little story here. Um, I have this, this app that tells you what your, your credit rating is. It's called Credit Karma, right? And they're always trying to sell you something. You know, hey, get this credit card and you want this loan and da-da-da. But it, you know, it said, hey, here is uh, an offer of insurance, okay? And it was a company I recognized. It was Progressive. So I was like, oh, well, um, I Progressive used to insure Uber drivers. So when I was driving for Uber, I got in a wreck while I was driving for Uber, and they covered it, and you know, I had to pay the deductible, but it was fine. So I was like, sure, I'll try that. So um, long story longer, <laughs> Last year in February, I got into a minor fender bender in the parking lot of Lifetime Fitness. It was icy. You remember February last year? You remember the ice storm when we had no power and we were like minutes away from having the power grid die for a month? Okay, so the streets were iced over and I had backed into this parking spot next to this other truck. Well, as I pulled out, I stepped on the gas just a little bit too much and my truck just went and slid over into his truck. And as I pulled, I felt something hit it. And I was like, oh, no. So I pulled over in the parking lot and I looked and it didn't look like there was really anything wrong. Now, my car was just really dirty. So I walked back over in the ice. Do you remember walking in the ice? It's where you're doing this, right? Okay. And I looked and his, his truck wasn't old, but, you know. It was kind of greasy and grimy, and it looked like there was a spot on his bumper, and my truck is black and his truck is white, and I thought, well, maybe it got into my truck. I don't know, but it didn't look like it didn't do any damage or dent anything or whatever, so I wasn't too worried about it. Then I went and washed my truck. Guess what? Yeah, it was dented, and so I took it to the insurance company, and I have Geico, and uh, you know, took it in, it was $2,000 worth of damage. That's just stupid. I saw his truck in the parking lot, and he was in it. 
Now, I didn't know the guy, but he was parked in virtually the same spot. So this guy's a young guy. He's on his phone, of course. You know, you're all on your phones doing this all the time, right? Poking away, social media, texting, I don't know what, okay? So I rapped on his window, right? And he looked over at me, rolled his window down. I said, hey, the other day, you know, I got into the side of your, it's your bumper right there. It doesn't look like anything. Do you want to look? Hey, yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> rolls his window back up. So I didn't have to pay for anything in his truck, but the damage was 2000 on mine. I have a $500 deductible, so they ended up having to pay $1,500. Long story longer, my insurance went up, okay? I was paying $135 a month, and then it was $165 a month, and then it was $195 a month. They just keep crawling up and up. So this progressive quote was $135. I was like, that's great. $135, that's awesome. That's what I was originally paying with Geico. So, buddy, I switched. I was like, you know, Geico has those commercials, switch and say, blah, blah, blah. I was like, I'm going to switch away from you. And so I, I'm on the phone with the lady from Geico because I want to make sure that they cancel my insurance at the end of this month, right? I didn't want to be paying for two insurance policies. And she said, you know, she said, I've dealt with Progressive before. And she said, what's going to happen is they're going to look at your record and they're going to see that accident and they're going to, it's going to jump up. I said, well, I already told them in the quote, I already told them about the accident. Within 24 hours, I kid you not, I downloaded the app on my phone from Progressive, and I let them text me. It said, your payment schedule has been updated. I went, what? I checked. It went from 135 to 341 a month. Are you out of your ever-living mind? So I immediately called Geico back, which these days it's taking a month to get an agent on Geico. Um, I'll tell you in a minute. I called them today. It took me 28 minutes to get a hold of somebody. But I called them. I called them back. I said, hey, I said, cancel my cancellation. And they're like, sure, we're happy to have you back. Uh, thank you, Mr. Hall and yada, yada. And I called Progressive and the guy's like, well, I'm a Progressive agent and you got that wrong. It just was recalculated. I said, no, it wasn't recalculated. I said, I have the email, and it said 135, 135, 135, 135 for five months. And now it says 341, 341, 341. That is a significant difference. That's rolling up on three times the amount, right? So I canceled it. I told Geico, I said, they're going to send something to you to tell you that, you know, to cancel. I said, I want to cancel that, so don't do that. So this morning... It is now, what are, what are we, August the 3rd? I thought, you know, I haven't seen that that payment has been debited from Geico yet. So I go and check my Geico app. Long story longer, I have been running without insurance for three days. Geico canceled me on the 31st, in spite of what they told me, in spite of the email that they sent me, all this other stuff, Right? I could have ended up getting in an accident and losing everything. That stupid truck is worth way more than I can afford, okay? The replacement value on it is like 42.5. I can't do that. Are you No, that's just Well, thankfully, the Lord watched over me and I took 30 minutes, almost 30 minutes to get a hold of them today and they were like, "Oh, well, we're happy to have you back." I said, "You already said that." <laughs> 
You were happy to have me back and now you're not. Oh, well, what happened was we received a fax from the other insurance that said to cancel. I said, I told you guys that. And I, you know, yeah. So all that to say, you can lose everything overnight. If you're in Christ, right, the inheritance that you have is not a house that somebody can sue you for. I mean, retired folks, man, you can have a house that's paid off. You still got to pay those property taxes, right? And if you're in a housing development that has an HOA, you still have to pay the HOA. Do you know if you don't pay your HOA, they can foreclose on your house? They can try to take your house, right? You don't pay your taxes, they can try to, anything you have down here can be taken away. But this beautiful promise in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4 says, we um, receive an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, and it's kept in heaven for you. You know what? It can't be stolen there. Amen? You should be excited about that. You should be enthusiastic about that. We can stop worrying about what happens down here because our life, as it says in Colossians chapter 3, is now hidden with Christ in God that's your real life, and nobody can get to that. That's a promise, right? Now, Jesus promised that this inheritance begins now, and it may include some persecution. Listen to Mark 10, 29 through 31. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. How does that work? That's the church. That's you integrated and integrally involved in the community of faith. And we are a community that shares, right? We are brothers and sisters in Christ. But he says, you receive these things now, but with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. The promises, into the, the promises in the Old Testament made to Israel also belong to those who are in Christ. It's really important that you get that. For 10 years, our church was called something else. Most of you in this room were not coming back then. Okay. Jacob started coming back then. Elijah was coming back then. What was our church called before it was called this? It's called Zion. And the reason that I wanted our church to be called that is because I wanted people to connect with the promises that God made to his people in the Old Testament. And often those promises are connected to that name, which represents the city of God and the people of God. Okay. That's why we were called that for such a long period of time. Listen to uh, what it says here. This is what the Apostle Paul said in his letter to the Romans. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. So just because you are ethnically, genetically, um, racially Jewish doesn't mean you belong to Israel. Not all the children of Abraham not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. 
This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. Amen? That is Romans 9, 6 through 9. And then continuing in Romans chapter 9, beginning in verse 22, he says, What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory? Verse 24, even us whom he has called, not from among the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not my beloved, I will call my beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. Friends, that's you and I if we are in Christ. We have these promises. And then continuing in Romans 11, verses 13 through 18, the apostle writes, Now I'm speaking to you Gentiles. That's, I think everybody in this room is Gentile. Inasmuch then as I am the apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Verse 17. But if some of the branches were broken off, and these are those that didn't believe, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, that's those of us who do believe, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. That's all those promises from the Old Testament. You're grafted into the olive tree of Israel. You become part of the Israel of God. And so you can look in this Old Testament and see these promises made to God's people. And in the Holy Spirit, apply them to yourself and to your life. Friend, this is not just a teaching. This is central. It's essential. It's vital. This is where you need to start getting your hope. Not from your next pandemic check, right? We've got a greater hope. He says, so what's our response? He says, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you, uh, if you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. So that's how we are related to the Jewish people and the people of the Old Testament. Um, So I won't get into this uh, in any more detail there, Um, but I will say go on a treasure hunt in the Bible. Discover the promises that God has made to his people. Listen, I get up every morning and I open my Bible uh, on my computer. I use a rather sophisticated application called Logos, Um, Jesus is called the Logos. The Logos just means word. And I read, I was reading five different lectionaries. I've cut it down to three. I'm reading three different lectionaries. The lectionary is in the, in the more formal church, the high church. Um, It's kind of their schedule of reading throughout the year. So these three different lectionaries that I read, um, the, uh, the Book of P- Common Prayer lectionary from the Episcopal Church, uh, 1979, uh, the Revised uh, Common Lectionary, 
And then the other one is from the Eastern Orthodox Church, and I'm not remembering the name of it. But they all have multiple passages from the Old and New Testament. I'm looking in those passages constantly trying to see what God has to say to me that day. And then as I read and as I think and as I pray, I will relate one of those passages to those of you all who've signed up for my daily Bible. If you haven't, it's the, the phrase daily Bible, like it's one word, D-A-I-L-Y-B-I-B-L-E, daily Bible. You text that to 94000 and you'll start getting uh, a verse a day from me. But there's always a link there so that you can click the link. It'll take you to the Bible app and then you can open the entire chapter and read that. And I really encourage you to do it. Or go to the Bible app and uh, find a, a daily reading of your own. There's all sorts of Bible plans that are there. But we need to be in the Word every day. It's like I said Sunday. We need to obey the Word. We need to memorize the Word. We need to meditate on the Word. Listen, this shouldn't be an option for you. Well, that's for those Christians that are really into it. Why aren't you? Seriously, why aren't you? Well, I don't have time for that. No, we all have 168 hours a week. Now, you may have a lot of other things pressing in, but the reality is any of us can get up an extra 15, 30 minutes earlier and get into the Word. I would urge you to do even more than that, but start off with that. Start off with 10 minutes. Get my verse a day. Read it. Read the chapter that it's in. Pray and then go on with your day because God has some incredible, incredible direction for your life. He's got some great news. He's got some great promises for you, right? So go on a treasure hunt in the Bible. Discover the promises God's made to his people and listen for the Holy Spirit to offer each promise to you and to those, all those who believe along with you, right? So we're together in this church. So many of those promises are made not just to you, but to us, right? Together. Then the Apostle Paul says, we utter our amen to God for his glory, our amen. What does amen mean again? You already forgot. What does amen mean? It means true. It means that's right, that's true. Okay? It's related to the word for truth. What does amen mean? That's exactly what it means. Okay? We're saying, I agree. It's our yes to God. That's why we say amen. Amen? amen. There we go. One, one amen. That's awesome. Woo! Um, so as I said before, the, that Hebrew word amen means true, truly. And it is spelled identically except for vowel pointing to another word that means faithful or confirmed or established. So it's a fitting word to use as an affirmation of our, our faith in God's faithfulness. Do you have faith in God's faithfulness? Jesus is called the amen, the faithful and true witness in Revelation 3.14. The last word in the Bible. Do you know what the last word in the Bible is? It's amen. That's the last word in the Bible. Here it is. Last verse. You ready? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. That's it. That's where we need to be. So then he says, it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us. That means he's chosen us and given us a visible sign of that. 
and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. That's the anointing, right? Anointing oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. It's receiving the Holy Spirit that gets Christ into you and gets you into Christ. So when we say accept Jesus in your heart, when we say receive Christ to as many as received him, we mean open yourself up and be fully receptive to God's Spirit entering you, transforming you, filling you, and giving you a new direction for your life, right? So without the Holy Spirit, we don't have any validation or verification that we're saved. The Holy Spirit is the acid test of salvation. I'll end with this little illustration. When I was a kid, my mom bought me a chemistry set. I I think it might have been common back then, okay? So it had all these different experiments in it. And I was kind of a goofy kid. I, you know, I took the test tubes, right? And uh, it had like the, this, the, it had sulfur. And I put sulfur in the test tube and lit the test tube on the bottom. And you know what that smells like. It was really bad. But in this chemistry set, <clears throat> it had litmus paper. Have you ever heard of litmus paper? Have you ever heard of a litmus test? Sometimes that's used in a political sense. So litmus paper, um, often it's a strip. And it's, it's often blue. Sometimes it can be another color. But it will be any color except red. It can be a greenish color. But my, the litmus paper that I remember from my chemistry set was blue. Now, what litmus paper does is it tests to see if there is any acid in a mixture. Okay, so if you took old school toothpaste, these days toothpaste has all kinds of junk in it, okay? But old school toothpaste, and you just stirred that up in water, okay? Just mixed it up to where it was just a a solution. And you stuck litmus paper in, it wouldn't turn at all because toothpaste is a base, okay? Um, Baking soda, there's a good example. Take baking soda, mix it up in some water, stick litmus paper in there. It won't change color because it's a base, okay? If you took an orange and squeezed some of it into a glass, maybe put a little water in, maybe not, but put enough of it in there so you could dip the litmus paper in. You dip it in and you pull it out, it would turn red because that's citric acid. It's an acid. Vinegar, you put vinegar in water. You put it in, uh, you know, uh, one of these test tubes that I had and you stick the litmus paper and you pull it out and it would be red. It always turned red when there was an acid in there. The litmus test for your salvation is the presence of the Holy Spirit in you. If God dips that strip of holy litmus paper into your heart and pulls it out, it should come out indicating the presence of the Holy Spirit. If it comes out and it's just blank, then you haven't been receptive to what God has to offer you, right? So um, that's the anointing. That's your teacher. And hopefully during this time that we've been together, you've been paying attention to your teacher as he seeks to inform you, as he seeks to give you direction, as he seeks to give you counsel and comfort, because that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. 
right? There are many other things that could be said here, but we're going to conclude there for the day. And we will come back next week and we'll look at chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. All right? God bless you. Thank you all for joining us.